I'm Ezra Fieldsmeyer. And I'm Casey Cantrell. And welcome to Animation and Beyond. And this is a very special episode of Animation and Beyond because what are we doing? Talking about Sesame Street because it's 50th anniversary. That's right. Happy birthday, Sesame Street. 50 years old. That's pretty amazing for any show, really. Yeah. It's, yeah, so November, the month of November, we're doing something very special. We are doing a three-part series all about Sesame Street. So we're going to be talking about the history of Sesame Street. We're going to be talking about the characters of Sesame Street. We'll be talking about the iconic moments and all the different wonderful things about Sesame Street. So, but before we dive into that, we do have a very special segment of On This Birthday. So, Ezra, Sesame Street's birthday is November 10th, 1969. Did anything else come out on November 10th? November 10th, 2004 was The Polar Express, the Christmas motion capture film from 2004 starring Tom Hanks. That's the all CGI film, right? Yeah. It is based on a children's picture book by Chris Van Alsberg who also wrote Jumanji and Zathura. All right. So that that was one movie that came out on the same day of Sesame Street's birthday. But we're all here for Sesame Street. So let's get into it. Sunny day, sleeping up. So as I said, Sesame Street first aired way back when, in November 10th, 1969. And it was created by a couple of people, Joan Gans Cooney and Lloyd Marriott. And when it was created, what was the premise of the show? About ed- children learning education in a unique way. Mm-hmm. Like teaching children letters and numbers and shapes and colors. And how did the show go about doing that? They've had animated segments, sketch comedies, live action, and puppetry. Yeah, and that's something that really made Sesame Street at the time stand out. I think we take it for granted children's educational shows, that they're fun, colorful, they have lots of production value, there's lots of zany action, there's lots of quirky characters. Yeah. But in the 1960s, that wasn't the case at all. Most children television was actually really for lack of a better term, boring. A lot of times children's shows were just basically somebody reading a children's book and it was like a slideshow. You'd go through the pictures of the pages of the book. Like, for instance, like Romper Room or Howdy Doody. Tell us about those. I, I don't, I'm not familiar with those. Howdy Doody was a Western-themed show with a ventriloquist dummy. Mm-hmm. And Romper Room, which was a children's show from the 19th, 19- which existed from the 1950s until the 90s, was a show targeted for preschoolers, and it was an educational show. And and what was its format? What was it like? It had puppets. It also was a show that had education and music. But not a lot of people know what it is today. Right, and it did, as you said, it ended in the 90s, I believe. Yeah. Certainly there were children's educational shows back then, but... Nothing really on par with what Sesame Street would become. 
In the early 1960s, Joan Gans Cooney and Lloyd Marriott met at a dinner and they were talking about how TV, as they basically put it, was a wasteland for children's programming. And they were concerned that children, from what they were watching on TV, they weren't getting the kind of education that they would need. It's very common for us to poo-poo TV and say that it doesn't really add much value. But for them, they saw it as an opportunity to use the worst parts of TV, its sort of addictive nature, and make them something positive, something that that children could learn from and yeah. and become better students. Yeah. And that would become Sesame Street. Yeah, and the show was Sesame Street, as we know, has changed the world. Changed the world for education and for teaching children on television. Mm-hmm. Expand on that. How how has it changed those things? There has been such iconic, well-known, popular characters be who so many people have learned, remembered. Big Bird, Cookie Monster, Ernie and Bert, The Count, Oscar the Grouch. They have all been very well-known and very iconic. Right. And on, on the next part of this series, we're going to be digging into the characters a lot more, their backstories, how they came to be, and that sort of thing. But... One big thing about Sesame Street is the characters, those iconic puppet characters. Mm-hmm. And those were a product of probably the two most legendary puppeteers ever, Jim Henson, who many of you probably know him better from The Muppets, and Frank Oz, who also many of you might know him better from an iconic Star Wars character. Yeah, like Yoda. Exactly. All right, I'll give it a try. No, try not. Do Oh, do not. There is no try. They worked on it together and they came up with ideas for different puppet characters. Like which ones? Ernie, Bert, for instance. And Ernie and Bert, it's actually fun because those two are voiced and played by... Jim Henson and Frank Oz originally. Yeah. And Frank Oz also was the performer for Cookie Monster and Grover. So who was on the original cast when the show came out? Oh, the original cast, one of them was... Uh, Matt Robinson. And who did he play? Gordon. Yeah, and so that's something that we should mention is that if you're at all familiar with how Sesame Street works, it's a mix of puppets and human actors interacting with each other on Sesame Street. Yeah. And well, actually, the Sesame Street, it's based on a street in New York, right? Yeah, because earlier this year they named a street. Right, they, they renamed the street after Sesame Street. Do you know which street it was in New York? 60th Street. 60th Street in New York? Yeah. What What was the response to these characters and to this show initially? High praise. From who? Audiences and critics. And, and why did they like it? They um, loved the creativity and like the unique animated segments they've had on the show. Mm-hmm. Like segments about a letter or a number. Right. And so they have the letter of the day, which is actually what we based our own segment word of the day on. It's based on that. And they have a number of the day and things like that. And so this whole idea of making education fun. For instance, each episode concluded with brought to you by whatever letter is, for instance, the letter M or for instance, the number five. Mm hmm. And you were telling me more specifically about an example of the count. He's the one who teaches kids numbers. He likes counting like literally everything. (laughs) Yeah. So this idea of like literally all he's doing is counting 
but somehow they make that into a fun thing. And how, how do they do that? Like you have one, two, three, <laughs> three, whatever that is. Ah, ah, ah. Yes, the laugh. I mean, I when I was a kid, that's the one thing that I remember so well is his laugh. <laughs> ah, ah, ah. It's so iconic yeah. and so funny. Yeah. Well, there are other kind of, whether it's character moments or segment moments. Or Cookie Monster. Mm-hmm. He's adorable cookies. <laughs> he talks like that. And he likes eating cookies and other foods too. And even biting things that are inedible. Right. And so they use these characters to make what would be generally boring, just educational stuff into something fun. I think there's a quote from one of the producers he's talking about. With this show, they wanted it to go down like ice cream rather than spinach, but still have the sort of healthy aspects of eating spinach. Like of eating vegetables than ice cream. Exactly. And so the show came out in 1969. It was a huge hit almost immediately by, I think, 1979. There's something like almost 10 million kids under the age of six were watching it daily, which is really remarkable. So a big reason why for that success is because the show was dedicated to appealing to a broad audience. So they had a diverse cast. They had a diverse writer's room. They dealt with social issues. They dealt with race. They dealt with ethics and emotions and things like that for instance the passing of mr hooper right that's one of the one of the most iconic moments tell us about that the death of mr hooper when it's revealed that he passed away right so the actor playing mr hooper passed away in real life in 1982 and then and then how it was kind of a mature topic to discuss on a show like that and how did they discuss it how it's kind of a hard thing when somebody passes away. Mm-hmm. You don't see him again, but you'll always remember them. Right. And so they, they had. I remember there was Big Bird in, in that episode and also Maria. Maria, one of the main human cast members. Mm-hmm. She was on the show until she retired in 2015. So tell us about that conversation that Big Bird and Maria had. That Mr. Hooper passed away and when they die, they're gone. They can't come back. And But you can always remember them. Yeah, and that was one of the... I think that episode actually won an Emmy. It was extremely well received. And, mm-hmm. and a big reason why is that they were really invested in making sure that they dealt with topics in ways that would be educational and productive for children. So for that episode in particular, they consulted psychologists, they consulted parents, they consulted teachers before going forward with it and trying to make it happen. I know that Matt Robinson was the original performer for Gordon on the show before he retired from the show in 1993. Okay, so yeah, so before we get ahead of ourselves, let's talk about the original format of the show. So it was teaching little kids and it, they had a set and it looked like an uh, old apartment neighborhood in New York because the show takes place in New York and is made in New York. Yeah, and it was hosted by Gordon, as you said, who was played by Matt Robbins. Originally. Originally. And and also his wife, Susan, I remember. Uh-huh, so what was his role? What would he do? He was a good, kind man and neighbor who was also good friends with Big Bird and Oscar and and the other Sesame Street gang. Mm -hmm. He would talk with Big Bird or Oscar or Ernie Burt, Cookie Monster or or whoever. And they would go through different segments to tackle different sort of educational things. Could be about letters. It could be about numbers. It could be about different subjects. Or shapes or colors or opposites. Right. It was for 
everyone to enjoy. It was made for kids uh, to teach them. Right. It was made for kids. But what about adults watching the show? Yeah, adults enjoyed watching the show, too, especially with their children for adults who are parents. One thing that I found fascinating reading up on the history of Sesame Street is how mindful the creators were in involving everyone that would potentially watch this show. They wanted this show to appeal to kids. So they have a lot of puppets, a lot of fun, zany things. But they also wanted parents to be able to interact with the show and interact with their kids watching the show. And so you have jokes that are aimed more at adults. Like funny skits with Bert and Ernie, for instance. Right. I think that the skits with Bert and Ernie appeal much more to adults because adults have lived that kind of life. They've lived with like an obnoxious roommate or an obnoxious friend and they just want to be left alone in peace. Yeah. What are what are some skits with Ernie and Bert that you remember? Like Ernie and Bert, like Bert shows Ernie his pigeon, Bernice. Uh-huh. Or how like Ernie drives Bert crazy and, and the, it's hilarious and like Bert gets annoyed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would like how there's a lot, how there's comedy and that kind of stuff can be really funny. And perhaps how to deal with people who are annoying you. Yeah, like how when Bert gets annoyed by Ernie. Uh-huh. They get they get into some fights, I remember. And how do they resolve them? They eventually solve a problem. And, you know, that they get along better because, as always, they're best friends. And I think that's important to show, you know, so there's that educational element for kids where they see best friends getting annoyed with each other, but still being best friends and resolving things in a respectful way. Yeah. But also adults can watch that and sort of see the humor in that and recognize moments from their own lives where where they have fights with their friends or family or whatever. Yeah. I know that the name of the company that produced the show is the nonprofit organization Sesame Workshop, which back then when it from its earlier years, it was called Children's Television Workshop. Mm -hmm. That's what it was called until 2000 when it was renamed as Sesame Workshop. Tell us a little bit more about that company. It is responsible for educational programs, most famously Sesame Street. Of course. But they did other things too, like an educational show for older kids called Electric Company. How did that show do? That show, I don't think, did as well as Sesame Street. It was on from 1971 until 1977. So that's only six years. And it did get a revival in uh, 2000, 2009 until 2011. Yeah, so what would you say is the legacy of Sesame Street? How it's impacted in people and it's changed the world. Yeah, and the thing is, you can actually find versions of Sesame Street all around the world. Like Rahum Sum Sum in Israel, and there's a Russian version, a Spanish version, Brazilian version. Yeah, there's all these different types of versions of, and they all, and the thing is, it's not the same characters. They have their own characters for each version of the show. Yeah. Which I find fascinating is that a kid who lives in Brazil, for example, has a very different idea of what Sesame Street is versus our idea of Sesame Street. Like some of the characters are different. Some of them are like Big Bird or like Grover or like Elmo or whoever, or Oscar. They're all in different from the ones we know. Yeah. Different personalities, different styles, different whatever. Or just look the same, but maybe they're a different color or the same personality. Like there's a grouchy character like Oscar or a Big Bird character like Big Bird or a one like Cookie Monster or one like Elmo. Yeah. 
So what do you what do you love about Sesame Street, Ezra? What it's so fun and so educational. There's so many fun characters and there's a lot of good songs, especially signature songs for the different characters like C is for Cookie, Cookie Monster song, Rubber Ducky, Ernie song, and I Love Trash, Oscar's song. Yes, and definitely be sure to stick around for our next episode next week. We'll be definitely talking about more of those character songs and those characters. And I know that the original network for Sesame Street was National Educational Television, which existed, which they had until 1970 and was replaced by PBS. Yeah, so that's the public broadcasting service. And I think it's fair to say that Sesame Street really gave life to public television. Before then, public television was just kind of a joke, but Sesame Street really established it as something valuable, something worth investing, something that's grown to become really truly beloved. I know. It's interesting that its original network was National Educational Television, NET. What are some fun facts that you remember about Sesame Street? Oscar the Grouch went, was orange before they changed him to green. Mm-hmm. Um, I also know, I think it was originally meant to be a educational show for people with sheltered lives. Yeah, I think one thing I read about is that they were really invested in reaching kids in inner cities who might not have the same quality of education. Or like people who are homeless or poor, it was originally meant to be for. Right. So people who just wouldn't have that same access to educational resources that more well-to-do people would have. It was it's for children, educational children of anybody. So, yeah. So that's the that's part of its broad appeal that even though it's one of its stated goals was to reach this demographic of kids, they still were mindful that they wanted this show to appeal to every kid, no matter their background, no matter their socioeconomic level, whatever the case may be. It was... It, it appealed to me no matter what. How? Tell us about that. Why did it appeal to you? Ever since I was a baby, I've watched it. I watched it when it was live on television or on a home video on video cassette. Also how I loved seeing different parts of the show with different characters and the music. And I also loved looking at books based on the show and playing with toys based on the show as a little kid. Like playing with a toys of like Big Bird or Elmo or Cookie Monster or looking through books like I remember looking through Lift the Flap books featuring the characters or little golden books or funny books that make that has made me laugh and make make little kids laugh. For me, I remember when I was a kid that we got an Elmo toy. A Tickle Me Elmo? Not a Tickle Me Elmo, but it was it was an Elmo toy and it was something that like I would carry around and bring with me wherever I went. When you were a very little boy? When I was very, very small kid. Nice. Yeah, and so that was something that I remember from my own childhood of dealing with Sesame Street. All right, yeah, yeah, me too. I loved a fun book that my parents used to read to me when I was little called I Think That It Is Wonderful with featuring poems with, with illustrations of the different characters like Cookie Monster and Big Bird, Ernie and Bert, Snuffleupagus. Like, it'll show what, talk about what different characters, each character is doing. Do you remember any particular poem from it? Like one, I think I remember one with Cookie Monster dreaming of cookie related stuff. Of course. What else would he dream about? Yeah. And a lot of good things. And I remember Lift the Flap books when I would look through different illustrations of these characters I know and love. Elmo and Big Bird and Oscar. 
and Cookie Monster, Grover, Bert and Ernie, the Count, Telly Monster, and later characters like Zoe and Rosita, I remember. Well, certainly I can see why Sesame Street would appeal to you, since it has more colors and more characters. And how I read to little kids nowadays. Oh yeah, you read to, you read these stories to kids? I read to little kids nowadays, and some of them I've read were Sesame Street books. That's awesome. And how, how do they like the Sesame Street books? They think they're fun and enjoyable, just like how they love the show, and a lot of them especially love Elmo. Yeah. Or some like Abby or some like the other more well-known classic characters. All right. Anything else to add before we close off this episode as? I think it's good and I'll explain more interesting stuff about the show in the next episode. So that will be it for the first part of a very special series on Sesame Street, celebrating all things Sesame Street, just in time for its birthday on November 10th. So be sure to stick around for our next part in this series. Next week, we'll be focusing on the iconic characters from the show. Like, for instance, like some interesting stuff you probably didn't know about Cookie Monster or Oscar or Big Bird, Bert and Ernie, all these beloved characters. Exactly. So be sure to stick around for that. Also, if you're a fan of what we do on here, be sure to check out our Animation and Beyond Patreon page at patreon.com slash animation and beyond. We have a new editorial series that's exclusive to patrons called Podcast Diaries, where we give insight into behind the scenes, into our process of making a podcast and other fun things that we do. Animation and Beyond is written and produced by Ezra Fieldsmeyer and Casey Cantrell, with music by Noam Fieldsmeyer. We'd like to give a big thanks to the family and friends who have supported this podcast. Got a comment, question, or recommendation for future episodes? Let us know by leaving us a comment on our Facebook page or send us an email at animationbeyond at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and we'll see you on the next episode of Animation and Beyond. Bye! Bye.